welcome to Life with Hula. Hi, my name is Hula, and I am a former radio personality here in San Diego turned podcaster. I'm here to share information with you um, about things going on around the world, around the country, around the city of San Diego, where I'm based out of, and just kind of entertain you and you know keep you in the know about things going on. Now, on Sundays, I like to keep it chill because most of the time, you know, six days of the week, I talk about my life. On Sundays, I bring a guest onto the show to talk about their life and share their knowledge of what they are all about. So it's i'm really honored to bring a old friend of mine from high school back in uh, mount miguel high school in spring valley here in san diego and it has to have been maybe gosh 10 years since i physically have seen him since our 20-year high school reunion and i'm so happy that he is able to join me to talk about his job um he's in the logistics business um, his name is Tony Ship, and uh, yeah, I want to welcome him to Life with Hula. So it's now Life with Tony. How you doing, Tony? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Tony is actually talking to us all the way from beautiful Hawaii. Well, I mean, normally it's great, but um, we do have a hurricane um, inbound. Um, hopefully it's, it gets broken up by the big island like it normally does, and then it doesn't ever touch our island because we're a little bit in the middle and a bit isolated so hopefully that's it but other than that it's beautiful so it's like san diego basically yeah i always tell people from growing up in san diego that living in hawaii is san diego 12 months a year <laughs> <laughs> pretty much pretty much i mean yeah i'm, I'm watching you through the zoom and i I'm, can see the back of your window right now and i can yeah. see it looks beautiful outside i mean a little windy but not too windy yes that's about right so how is uh, pandemic life over there in the, the islands? How are people, you know, dealing with it? In terms of unemployment, we're probably the state that's hit the worst. Oh. Uh, we're, some, we're somewhere around, around about 37% unemployment. And primarily because we're, our entire market is, an economy is, you know, surrounded about, around hospitality, right? So tourism, right. and that's essentially turned off because the governor's got, uh, and it's this has been around since March, um, a 14-day inbound quarantine. So even if you wanted to come here on vacation, mm -hmm. you'd have to quarantine to 14 days. So if you want a two-week vacation, you make it, you need to make it a four-week vacation because two weeks you have to stay in your hotel before you can actually go outside. <laughs> so how is the downtown, you know, Waikiki, how is that the downtown area? Is it a ghost town? Are there people actually out and about? Are people just locked in their, their rooms? Well, first off, we don't have any tourists. So like to put things into perspective. Oh, wow. I'm a, I, I subscribe to an email blast from the HTA, which is the Hawaii Tourism Association. Right. And it tells you the daily count of like the inbound. They give you the statistics. So on average, during this time of the year, we would have about 30,000 um, tourists arrive into Hawaii on a daily basis. Wow. Right now, we have probably got roughly about five to 600 of them that are coming in for tourists um, that are coming in. So look at that ratio. It's from 30,000 down to about 500 on a daily basis. And so in... In a nutshell, what that really translated, if you could visually see it, Waikiki, if you drove through, is like a ghost town. They've got all the hotels boarded up. It's like as if the whole place is prepped for like doomsday in, in terms of um, like it's a hurricane every day potentially coming in. It's all boarded up. And mainly because, you know, we've got transients and homeless, you know, homeless issues and so forth. And because there's just not enough employees on premise to keep the place secure, they just decided to board it all up. Even on the on that row, like um, the the street, it's called Kalakaua that goes through the center of Waikiki. Right. You know, it's like Rodeo Drive. It's got all the high end 
retailers like Gucci and Louis Vuitton and so forth. Yeah, all those stores are closed and they're just completely boarded up. That's insane. I mean, I can't even picture it. So we've talked enough about Hawaii, um, even though I think I feel like I have so much more questions to ask about Hawaii, but I won't. Um, let's steer the the conversation into about Tony. Let's get to know you a little bit more, Tony. Uh, for those list that are listening, I mentioned earlier that Tony and I went to high school together, so I know a lot about Tony, but share with the audience more about you. Yeah, that's quite a long story, but I, you know, I'll start off with, you know, a little bit about, you know, my childhood and how we know each other. So I, I grew up in San Diego, um, pretty much in Chula Vista, like in the Bonita area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, be like the east side of Chula Vista, like towards, you know, like off 8th Street and so forth. Right. We're familiar with that. Um, and then uh, then I eventually moved because it was right on the cusp of Spring Valley. So I, I did all of my elementary school, junior high school in that particular area. And then we moved um, over towards Spring Valley. And that's how I ended up at Mount Miguel. So you know, all my family is, you know, from Southern California. They, no, part, only, I have only one sibling that lives in San Diego still. The rest of them kind of moved north. So they live in Orange County and Los Angeles area now. Okay, so not too far. Not too far. So if I do go to San Diego, um, it's just, you know, visit friends and, and so forth. But most of my family is up north. We both graduated in 92, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, I enlisted in, into the Marine Corps right out of high school. And when I went into the Marine Corps, um, my first duty station, I got stationed in Japan. Okay. And, and so that was really actually my, I've never even visited Hawaii in my entire life as a, as a teenager, never you know, a vacation or anything like that. It was when I got to Okinawa, Japan, um, when I was stationed there, that I um, had to do a training exercise where I ended up on Oahu. Um, because we did a joint exercise between the units that are in Hawaii, and it was because we're all in the Pacific. And that was my first time i ever got to like hawaii and went wow i didn't believe this was place existed <laughs> you know it was like it was like heaven on earth wow and i just remember myself saying to myself one day i'm gonna live in this place one day and like i already had it was like manifest destiny I <laughs> exactly guess, to, to a certain degree but anyway so i ended up um you know doing my uh, time in the marine corps and then i got out and um and then i stayed in affiliated to the marine corps i stayed in the marine corps reserves okay and, um you know re- remained in that so I, and if people don't know what the marine corps reserves is all about it's like no different like national guard you just you're obligated to do one week in a month two weeks a year type of thing and i mainly did it cuz i was going to college at the time and i was going to school up in orange county i went to uh, to chapman university and um so that you got i got a little extra stipend with the gi bill for that piece and then, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth Anyways, once I finished school, um, and this is kind of talks a little bit about how I got into the industry that I'm in right now, which is the, the logistics business, or people refer to it as supply chain management industry. Right. I ended up getting a job um, right out of uh, college, going to to work for a company called C H Robinson Worldwide. They're based out of uh, Eden Prairie, Minnesota, but people people within the industry would recognize that company because it's the number one third-party logistics freight forwarding business in the in the world, and I didn't know that at the time. Okay. When I when I got recruited to go work there, right. Um, that's sort of kind of the catalyst that started my career down the pathway of ending up in the logistics business. And so, so I ended up started working there, and I was still doing the Marine Corps Reserves. And as we got through, like, kind of sort of the dot com era in the early two thousands, um, right after that piece, and of course, then nine eleven hit us. Mm. And then when 9/11, when nine eleven came about, around, basically that changed everything, right? right? Because then I was in the Marine Corps Reserves, and then I got activated to go back on active duty. Okay. At that particular time, so I ended up going on, you know, between. Uh, 01 and 07, I went on three different combat deployments. I went on, you know, two two to Iraq and one in Afghanistan in that particular time. So that changed the the uh, trajectory of my career because 
even though you're like protected by the Soldiers and Sailors Act of 1974, which just basically means that your employer has to hold your job for you when you get deployed. Oh, okay, okay. So you're so you're protected if you're in the in the Guard Reserve and, and, and so forth. You're protected so that you can't lose your job. They can't, you know, because you got to serve your country. Of course. And so, but the, but we all know in reality that if you have a specific function in the job. It, you can't create a vacuum, right? You, you leave, and then you, 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 they can't say, "Hey, we're going to hold, we're going to put this on the shelf for everybody," right. you know. And then when he comes back, we'll be able to do to start back from where from where he left off at. So, of course, that changed my career path because I had a pretty good trajectory at that point. And every time I came back on those three deployments, my job just changed differently, and I and I just become I just became uh, a little more dissatisfied with that. Oh, uh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, which then you know. Fast forward me into my last deployment when I was sitting in Afghanistan in 2006, I told myself, um, you know what, I think I can do, I've learned enough about this business, I can, I can do this on my own. And so I had, you know, sitting out in the middle of Afghanistan, I just said, I started coming up with basically a, a business plan in my own mind. Right. And I should. I started jotting down, you know, notes of how I wanted to do it, what I needed to do, and just kind of just penciled it all out. So I had a plan as soon as I got back, and I came back and went to my employer. I think I worked two or three months, and then I just been, um, you know, I had fortunately enough for me was like, you know, I didn't, I was saving, you know, when you, what people, maybe people don't know this, but when you work overseas, um, um, it, it, whether you're civilian or military, at that particular time, the first eighty thousand dollars that you of income that you earn is all tax free. So you don't pay any income tax on that. Oh, wow. Which, is, which was nice because then I was able to save up a, a, a tremendous amount of money on those deployments when I was, you know, during that time. So I basically bootstrapped my own logistics business um, when I got back. I, I came back to my regular job and then I quit after three months. And then I went out and bought two tractor units, hired a couple drivers, had some cu- uh, cu- some customers, and then just started hauling, you know, truckloads of freight all over Southern California and, and the rest of the main, mainland USA. All right, before you move forward, let's just break it down. Like, I'll be totally transparent. I have no idea what the logistics business is all about. So for those of us um, that don't know, can you, in layman's terms, tell us basically what is logistics? I, so the, I have, people ask that question all the time, mm-hmm. right? And I, what, I would, uh, what I would look at, what I would tell people to do two things. I'm going to answer the question, but I want, but if you really, really are interested and you want to know, right. um, Go to YouTube and just type in UPS Logistics Commercial. Okay. And, and, and there's a commercial called We Love Logistics. Okay. It, it a little jingle to it. And that one probably best explains it if it's a 30-second spot and do that on YouTube. So that's probably, you know, give you the better answer. Let's not make the people wait. Um, here is the clip from the UPS commercial you're talking about from YouTube. Logistics makes the world work better. When it's planes in the sky for a chain of supply, that's logistics. When the parts for the line come precisely on time, that's logistics. A continuous link that is always in sync, that's logistics. Carbon footprint reduced, bottom line gets a boost, that's logistics. With new ways to compete, there'll be cheers on Wall Street, that's logistics. When technology knows right where everything goes, that's logistics. Bells will ring, 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 ring. 
my answer I always tell people is this, that yes, logistics is the business of moving goods from point A to point B. But if you really get to the bottom line of the definition, the word is actually a French derivative word and pronounced logistique. And if you look up the French definition of logistique, it just says problem solver. Oh, okay. So we're, we're in the business of solving problems of getting and in logistics. You have all kinds of different problems. You know, I have a product that when I go to the grocery store or Walmart and how it ends up on the shelf and it's always there at the same price at the same time, you know, th- that process to get that item on the shelf took a logistical transaction in order for that to happen. There, right. Somebody had, somebody had to manufacture it. It was produced, it was boxed, it was crated, and it was put on a truck, and there was forklift to the truck, and on both ends, ends up in a distribution center, and then you can just kind of follow the chain along the way to the point where it ends up on the shelf. And so the logistic business is you've got some sort of facet of, of what you do, whether it be transportation coordination, IT work, I mean, there's a lot of different facets to what logistics is, but at the end of the day, it's the bottom line is just getting things from point A to point B and solving all the problems in between. So, and, and for you being on an Island, I mean, that's a huge, I mean, especially in Hawaii, because a lot of people will go there and they'll go, why is milk so expensive? Why is, you know, this particular good so expensive? It's because you actually have to take it. I mean, it's an Island. So you're taking it across from somewhere else. That's a great point. And Hawaii being the, um, the extraordinary scenario living on an island state, um, it, to put things in terms, 96% of all consumable goods are shipped into the islands. Right. So every so four, four out of every 100 things that are on the shelf is something that you could get that's made here in Hawaii, right? Right. So, so when you have a ratio that high, yes, logistics plays a huge factor into keeping the state functional and so forth. So yeah, and so what drives the cost up there is, yeah, freight costs. So the transportation freight costs of getting it from the mainland USA onto a container ships and getting them over to Hawaii is why you pay, for example, I don't know what prices. I, I mean, I, I do a lot of barbecuing, right? So I, I remember back in San Diego, I think I could get black pepper at Ralph's or whatever for like under a dollar. Yeah. It's like, it's like three bucks here. <laughs> oh, right. I think the best the best analogy I remember telling people is because a gallon of milk here in uh, the mainland is two dollars, two fifty. Where in Hawaii, I remember it was like six bucks last time I was there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's huge. So, okay, let let people know exactly what's the name of your company and what your title is. So the name of the company that I work for is M Dyer Global, mm-hmm. and um, and I am their the president and the chief executive officer of the company. What is you know a typical day to day for you? So a typical day for me is um, so first off I have r- roughly about three hundred employees in the company. Okay. So so we have so in, in from a hierarchy structure, um, I have. Everybody, you know, all the different department heads that report me that you can imagine from like operations, accounting, um, you know, sales, et cetera, right? My strengths is really in the sales side of it. So I, I really am the face for like our really high level um, relationships, right? So we have some big, you know, brand name clients that we do service. So we don't have a dedicated sales rep. So they want to deal directly with me because I'm also dealing with other executives. But other than that, I mean, the main thing is that, you know, I focus strictly on, you know, the strategic portion of the business. Okay. And so if you start to break that down in terms of, you know, here's a big picture, and then you start to divide that up into what that looks like in terms of what are we hitting on an annual basis? What are we doing monthly? How's that break down to weekly, you know, daily and so forth? So um, 
every day I'm dealing with my department heads and I use a, you know, and this is, has nothing to do with the company, but it's just my own personal leadership style. Right. Is I throw a methodology of what they call what people refer to as servant leadership, which is, I look at it as an inverted pyramid. Okay. Instead of me being at the top in command and control, right, and like I'm directing down downstream, right. I I look at it from where I'm underneath them and I'm and offering support. So I I become a, a conduit to my direct reports who are you know tactically implementing the strategy on a day to day basis and making sure and understanding what their problems are and what their solutions are and how I can help them to give them additional resources. And sort of like if, if you put it in sports, um, I'm essentially a head coach, right? A head coach is going to have like an hey, offensive Andy. coordinator, a defensive coordinator and so forth. But there's a bunch of, there are people are out there playing the game. You know, you got a quarterback and all the other players out there. So my job is to look at it and look at the strategic, what plays are we going to run? Right. How are we going to run them? Right. And then, how do we shift things from here to here and how can I make these groups work better together and collaborate in order to get a better outcome at the, at the end of the day? It's quite fascinating. The more that you're talking to me, it's I'm for some reason in my mind going back into when we were in high school, you were the guy that was always in ROTC. So you're very detail oriented, very much a uh, big picture solver kind of thing. And I was more of the creative side. So I was like in the marching band and all that kind of stuff. So it's funny to see now fast forward to our lives to see where you are. Like, I feel like you're in the perfect position, like for what you do from what you were, how you were in high school to now. Yeah. I think, uh, and I, I think, yeah, if you and I are probably in the, if, it, if, if I had to put it in the terms, like you're, you're cut from, we're cut from different cloths. Right. And you cut, you kind of fell into the space of your calling from what I remember being ASB and sort of a voice for our, for our class right. and very outspoken and very creative. And, and I always remember that. Whereas I think I made a decision probably somewhere around the age of 13 or 14 that I wanted to be in the Marine Corps. I just, I didn't remember reading a bunch of books and looking at, and I just sort of had my mindset that that's what I wanted to do. Right. And you're right. So I did four years in and JROTC at, yep. at Mount McGill and got all the way to the point where in my senior year I was, you know, they referred to it as the cadet corps and I was the battalion commander. I was the, he- the number the head one guy. I was a CEO basically of the cadet <laughs> corps. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if you like, if you like solving problems and doing all kinds of different puzzles and you, or you're a person who liked math, you know, when you're in high school or college and doing and solving math problems, you'd be great for this type of job, you know, working in the logistics field because that's what we do every day. So did your company actually work with huge corporations? Like you mentioned earlier, brands, you know, that huge clients, as well as, you know, a, a family moving from the mainland to Hawaii, to the islands? Yes. So we, our number one customer is the, the U.S. government. Military. Yeah. Military families. So military, you know, so if, you know, if the audience, if you're from San Diego, you probably, everyone's familiar with, you know, the Naval base right there at 32nd street, you got right. Camp Pendleton, you right. know, and you got all, you got tons of Marines and sailors all over in Southern California. Right. Um, Hawaii is no different, especially Oahu, the Island I'm on, isn't very much different. I mean, we have all the services here and we have a ton of, you know, service members here. So this is a, a big landing zone for people coming, you know, to and from and the term is actually it's a it's a three-letter acronym it's called pcs stands for permanent change of station anybody that's in the military knows what that means it's the same acronym across the board of what service you belong to so we play in the space of when in typical assignments are usually three years or four years so if you're in the service and you're let's say for example you're a marine and you're stationed in camp Pendleton, california and you've been there for three years right and also you get orders and they want to send you over to marine corps base kaneohe on the island of Oahu and you're going to get another three-year assignment. Well, they're going to, the, the DOD is responsible for moving you and your family 
to that. They pay for all that. Right, right. So we are one of the players in the market for Hawaii that services that business and gets people from, from point. That makes up about 60% of our revenue and the other 40% are other stuff like moving like general freight into like grocery stores and retail centers and things like that. Thank you so much, Tony, for breaking that down for us because I know a lot of people may have heard the term, you know, logistics. Um, you're in the logistics field, but you, you may not know what that entails. And, you know, I appreciate you sharing that information with um, people here listening on my podcast. Now, with that being said, I'm going to move on to our this or that kind of segment where I ask you um, which you prefer. You can just give me one answer. You don't have to explain yourself, and it's going to go pretty quick. This is our, our speed round. So my first question for you is Maui or Oahu? Oahu. Rain or wind? Rain. Spam or shrimp? Shrimp. Aloha or mahalo? Aloha. ATV or hiking? Hiking. Sea or air? I think I know the answer to that. Sea. San Diego or Honolulu? Uh, that's a hard one. Um, San Diego. And last but not least, Hawaiian food or Mexican food? Mexican food all day, every day. Really? Really? That surprises me. I mean, I know you grew up in San Diego, but that really surprises me. I mean, I because I prefer Hawaiian food over Mexican food. Yeah, I like uh, both of them, but I yeah I. Do you miss like, it? Yes, and the unfortunate part is there's nothing like Southern California Mexican food. Um, you know, Preach. Hawaii Hawaii doesn't do it right, so that was usually my first stop when I make when I travel out to, to California <laughs> is to get you know hit the taco shop immediately. I feel like all of us that grew up in San Diego. If you happen to leave the city of San Diego and end up somewhere else, that you and when you come back to San Diego, you always crave the Mexican food because there is no better place than San Diego to have Mexican food. That's absolutely one hundred percent true. Well, you know what, Tony? It was a pleasure talking to you. As far as this podcast is concerned, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about what you do. And if there's anybody that is interested in learning more about Tony and what he does or about the company, remind everybody again, what's the name of the company you work for? It's M Dyer Global. So it's just spelled M-D-Y-E-R Global. And you can look us up. We're on the website. We're on all the social media as well. Tony, again, such a pleasure talking to you. And uh, thanks so much for chatting with me on this podcast. Thank you, Hula. It was awesome. It was good to catch up with you. And great catching up with you. And if you want to reach out to me, um, whether or not you would like to talk about your career, um, you know, let people know about what you do for a living, I would love to have you as a guest. You can reach out to me um, by searching for me on social media. Facebook's probably the best way to do it. You can search Hula Ramos, H-U-L-A-R-A-M-O-S is my last name, or just search Hula SD. That's H-U-L-A-S-D on all social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, and I'll be happy to answer back and, and maybe even possibly have you on the show. So again, thank you so much for tuning in to Life with Hula. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, do me a favor and hit subscribe. If you're one of my 12 elite listeners, thank you so much for tuning in again and for the support. Otherwise, I will catch you on Monday morning. Have yourself a great Sunday. Take care. Bye. You as well.